This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Helping Zoomers stay in the workforce beyond the age of 65 would give our economy a big boost. But how do we do that without raising the retirement age for everyone? We'll speak to the chair of the government's Advisory Council on Economic Growth. And in time to celebrate Canada's 150th birthday, one group is enlisting the help of some prominent Canadians to take a look back at our founding fathers. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A 101-year-old Nova Scotia woman is internet famous after a video of her dancing to Elvis Presley's blue suede shoes has gone viral. Don't you step on my blue suede shoes. Minerva Boren lives in the White Birches Retirement Residence in Amherst, Nova Scotia, and the video of her strutting her stuff has received well over a million views on social media. When she was asked about the video, she says she's not sure what the fuss is about. It's good exercise and a lot of fun. The iconic marquee sign that hung above Honest Ed's for nearly 60 years will shine on. After the Discount Emporium shut its doors in recent months, there was concern that the 30 by 60 sign would disappear as well. But David Mervish says he'll install it on the front of the Ed Mervish Theatre. At first, he wasn't sure he wanted to preserve it, but says looking at it will give him a lot of pleasure and it'll also help explain why there's a theater named after his father. It certainly isn't a surprise to our listeners that people are living longer and driving cars later in life. But what effect is that having on car safety? Current crash test dummies were first designed about 50 years ago and haven't been updated to reflect the change in the population. So researchers at the University of Michigan are working with a crash test dummy manufacturer in Detroit to create new models that resemble older drivers as well as obese drivers. Experts say this will help improve safety restraints used in vehicles. He may be gone, but the Canadian music community will be honoring Leonard Cohen during April's Juno Awards. The singer-songwriter earned four posthumous nominations for his album, You Want It Darker, which was released just weeks before his passing. If you are the dealer, I'm out of the game. If you are the healer, means I'm broken and lame. If thine is the glory, then mine must be the shame. You want it darker. We kill the flame. Cohen died on November 10th of last year, but is up for awards in the Artist of the Year, Songwriter of the Year, Album of the Year, and Adult Alternative Album of the Year categories. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
This week, the Liberal government's hand-picked Economic Advisory Council suggested raising the age of eligibility for the Canada Pension Plan and old age security. The idea was to induce more Zoomers to continue working past the age of 65. The council found that if the number of Canadian workers over 55 was the same as in other Western countries, it would add $56 billion to the economy. The government nixed the idea of delaying retirement for everyone, but the chair of the advisory council says we must find voluntary incentives and also rethink our ideas about the length of our working lives. I chatted with Dominic Barton, who is also the global managing partner with McKinsey & Company. Are you disappointed that the government took off the table the possibility of raising the age of eligibility for both those old age security and, say, CPP? Obviously, what we would love to do is make it easier for people to work longer. You know, that we're not expecting everything to be done, but what we do want to do is just encourage, make it easier for people, push the envelope as much as you can to try and get people to do it. I think Minister Morneau in one of his interviews talked that way uh, on, on Monday, and just looking at, well, okay, we have to explore ways to see how just with the incentives that are in place, you could do more, which I think there are some things that you can. We are also um, the only major Western country, except for France, that has not raised that age of eligibility. Yeah. I do think that we have to get used to the idea that people are going to live longer, and therefore people are going to, that can, are going to work longer, and we'll have to deal with that. I think what maybe they're sensitive to, and I understand that, is for those Canadians that can't. And I I have some sympathy for that, to be honest. Of of course. Right now, there really is a disincentive, because at a certain age, at the age of 65, you've got to be collecting your old age security, and it gets clawed back. Yeah. With the Canada Pension Plan, I know of people earning money big salaries, paying taxes, and collecting CPP at the same time. Yeah. I do think stepping back and looking at incentives overall as to who needs it and who doesn't and how we use that government money effectively is a good thing to do, but that's beyond my pay grade on this one. And what about uh, things like there are um, mandatory RIF withdrawals at a certain age, whether you're still working or not? Is, Is that also outside your pay grade? Yeah, well, not in the sense of I think we need to look at, this is, again, to me, the incentives, right? Because I also think what happens, right, is then there are people that will work longer, but they do it by being paid cash, if you know what I mean. There's all sorts of things like that that go on. I think that you you nailed it when you said that. I think what we need to do is reduce the clawbacks, because it's better for the economy if the people who can work do work. And we shouldn't disincentivize them if that's possible. And I think there's a number of levers, and that, that, that's one of them that you picked. You mentioned, without giving any details, about stopping age discrimination. But it's huge, and it, it's very difficult to prove. Yeah. And I have a call-in show every day, and people were calling in saying, you know, great, I'd love to work, but who's going to give me a job? We need to have businesses, I think, accept that and understand it. And I think on the education side, we have to provide the skilling that's part of the future skills lab too, to basically help retrain older workers. So I think it's a whole mindset that we have to have in society and in all of our institutions, education, business, all of us. Well, yeah, but it's also, even if they have the skills, 
they might not get hired. And one of the facts of corporate life is that in a lot of places, when you reach a certain level and you make a certain salary, you can be sure that you're going to be out in the next round of layoffs. Right, right. So how do we fight that? Well, I think that's when we have to look at how do compensation levels change. I think law firms have been quite good at this in terms of people becoming of counsel, if you will. So they're paid differently. They're paid less. If I think about in our own firm, we we very much like having senior advisors, if you will. They're actually quite active, but they don't get paid like they were. And so I think we have to be comfortable with variability. I, I, I think the idea that you just continue to get a increase all the way through, that, that's probably not realistic either. I think we should be comfortable with that. You know, it depends on the role. I just think the biggest thing to realize is that people, if you're going to have someone stay on or you think about retraining them, it's not just going to be for five years. They, they could be in that role, you know, for another 15 years. I was just with a person actually in the media business who's 71, who was literally planning what are they going to be doing for the next five years in their role and what sort of training do they need and that obviously is a enlightened employer. There are all kinds of ancillary things that you need to... Uh, I remember at a certain point, my boss was in his early 70s, and the health insurance that we had wouldn't cover him. Yeah. I, again, I just think we have to get used to the idea that... Cause I think some people have the mindset that, okay, they're going to work just for another couple of years, and that's what they're doing. I, I, I don't think... I think we should know people that... 55, 65, they're going to be working for another 20 years or 10 years. And again, with compensation, there may have to be some adjustment to that. I think one of the other challenges, or if I call it stigmas, is, well, if you keep older people around, they take up spots that younger people could get, right? Uh, that's that's all. You hear that. Oh, I uh, hear that a lot. Please yeah. address it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think in that case, I do think it's good to let younger people be, you know, taken in roles and where they are, but that doesn't mean there's not very good roles for people to take that are more senior. They may not be in a particular line role. It may be helping in a functional role that cuts across the organization. I, I just think there's, there's many different types of roles that more experienced people can play. One of the things I'd say is because there's so much change going on in most businesses, there's people who are running businesses and there are people who are helping change the businesses. There are actually more roles in companies than there have been before. So I think there's a range of serious roles that people can play as we get older, uh, beyond the line roles. And what's the role of the government in fostering this? I actually think it's more the role of businesses and education that have to do it. I think the government can only do so much. But I think the notion that there's an understanding that people can, who want to work longer, will work longer, and that's acceptable. And I think encouraging, I think more of a catalyst role, I guess I would say, to share examples of companies that are actually doing this to ensure that the educational institutions do have programs for people. And I think there's a sweet spot at the age of 55 for people to be going to university again. It may not be like the typical under, you know, going for four years, but having some refresher program to be prepared for the next level, I think, you know, that that's something that I think we should try and get put in place to ensure there's kind of a scaffolding so that people can be, you know, trained for the next phase of their career. Okay. Dominic Barton, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Dominic Barton, chair of the government's Advisory Council on Economic Growth. Mm-hmm.
I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. We'll take a quick break and then return to talk about a group aiming to commemorate Canada's 150th with a look back at the leaders of Confederation. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. How much do you know about our country's founding fathers and how their ideas created the country we have become? In honor of Canada's sesquicentennial, the Macdonald Laurier Institute is taking a special look at five of our first generation political leaders, and they're enlisting the help of present day leaders like Preston Manning, Jean Charest, and Bob Ray. I talked with historian Alistair Gillespie. These are five of Canada's key founding fathers. In many ways, it was a sort of an agonizing choice. I think a lot of people might remember seeing a photo of the Fathers of Confederation at the Charlottetown Conference of 1864, and it's a large, large group of people representing a number of the original provinces of Canada. But we really had to make a choice to focus on five of the most fundamental uh, Canadian leaders. George Brown, uh, to run through the list um, in brief, George Brown was uh, a leader from Upper Canada. Uh, He represented the Reform Party, and for 15 years he waged a more or less solitary campaign for constitutional change in Canada and deserves recognition for you know, commitment to the cause of constitutional reform, really at great personal cost to his political career. His great sort of war cry was representation by population. Uh, and the reason for that was that Ontario was growing much faster than Quebec, and he felt strongly it was entitled to more seats in the legislature. And gradually, Brown had to change his views. He's forced to change his views, and he becomes a federalist. He says, look, the real solution to this problem is we'll have a separate government for Ontario, another government in Quebec, and a central government to deal with things that they share in common. And that's a real breakthrough. That's a real insight. Okay, what about Alexander Galt? Just to outline his thinking on Canadian federalism, basically the idea was to push divisive issues down to the provinces and use federalism to allow Canada to expand out to the Northwest. Uh, and he makes the point in his great speech that unless Canadians go West, uh, the Americans will get there first. Thomas Darcy McGee, he was assassinated, right? Uh, he was. That's exactly right. But the, uh, people remember Thomas Darcy McGee shot dead uh, in Ottawa not long after Confederation, tragically. He coins the phrase, the new nationality or the new northern nation. And he edited a newspaper, which he called the New Era. And he used the pages of his newspaper to campaign for federalism and for this idea of the new nationality. And in the pages of that newspaper, he talked constantly of the importance of understanding between the different ethnic groups that made up Canada, the different languages, the different nationalities, Again and again, McGee is talking about toleration, and these are ideas that can still sing and speak to Canadians today. And why was he assassinated? In short, he had a conflict with a group called the Fenians, and the Fenians were an Irish nationalist group. And so McGee, as a leader of the Irish group, speaks out constantly against the Fenians. A lot of fiery speeches condemning them, 
it's a fascinating early case of diaspora politics in Canada where, you know, everything was at stake and he paid for it with his life in and, the streets of Ottawa. And a lesson in uh, why not to bring the old fights from the old country. McGee says exactly that. He says in one of his greatest speeches, we cannot bring these these embers across the Atlantic, these sparks of flame in the ships, only to catch a blaze in the new world. It says you're bringing these people to light with Preston Manning, Jean Charest, Paul Martin, and Bob Ray. So all mm-hmm. men, all white guys, all politicians. Why? Well, certainly for the for the Confederation era. Um, subjects of the Confederation series. It is true that politics at that time was in the hands entirely of men, and of course that's not appropriate today, but it's a matter of historical record. Okay, thanks so much. Okay, great to be with you. That was Alistair Gillespie from the Macdonald Laurier Institute. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, the Queen of Soul says she's going to retire, sort of. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Glenn Close is back on stage with the role that won her a Tony Award 21 years ago. Norma Desmond, the faded silent movie star planning a comeback. The Andrew Lloyd Webber musical opened a 16-week engagement at the Palace Theater this past Thursday. Dissident Chinese artist Ai Weiwei is staging a landmark exhibition at the Frederick Meyer Gardens and Sculpture Park in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Central to the exhibition is an examination of Ai Weiwei's dialogue with nature. In Yorkshire, England, a permanent art show has opened in an underpass at the Wakefield Kirkgate train station. Visitors are treated to the sound of a brass band playing Jerusalem as they walk through. The images in the show feature local Yorkshire landscapes. And in Adelaide, Australia, the finest uncut opal in existence, the Fire of Australia, has gone on display at the South Australian Museum. It's valued at almost a million dollars, weighs in at almost one kilogram, and will grace the museum's front entrance until February 28th. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. The Queen of Soul is hanging up her microphone. Aretha Franklin says she's going to retire after recording one last album with Stevie Wonder so that she can spend more time with her grandchildren. Aretha's been performing since the 1960s, recording hit after soulful hit on the Billboard charts, with 20 number one hits on the R&B charts, which is still a record. The 74-year-old legend isn't quitting entirely. Aretha said she'd remain open to some select things for six months out of the year. Now let's hear what is arguably her greatest hit, the soul anthem, Respect. That was Aretha Franklin with Respect. The Queen of Soul announced this week she's going to retire to make more time for her grandchildren. 
And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.